Now, I don't know about you. How many of you guys track your health with your Apple Watch? Ah, one. Two. Very good. Very good. You need to talk to your husband about that. I want you to know that you can, if you use the auto sleep app, combine it with your, your watch, it will track your breathing and your heart rate variability. And with this new watch, it even takes your oxygen level in your blood. See, they, she, yeah, she's nodding north and south. And I will tell you that in the morning, in the morning, about 9 a.m., my phone says to me, good morning, Chip. This is after my devotion that I do for you guys and for myself online. Um, we get a readiness score. You get your readiness score? Whoa, well, I'm going to have to introduce you to that. Actually, let me explain to you what this does. And I'm, it has all these charts and stuff which I, above my pay grade. But all I know is this. Based on my heart rate variability against the baseline and my, uh, let's see, how, and my heart rate period against another bedline, red line, it gives me a score which is supposed to reflect in my mental and my physical wellness and readiness for the day. You laugh. But there's an even a more important one, and that is your sleep fuel rating. Uh-huh. Amen. Do I have a witness, right? The thing is that the sleep or fuel rating tells me how good my sleep was and how long my readiness score, my ability to think, <laughs> ask my wife, my, my mental and physical state, how long it will last. Now, I didn't have it at the first service. In fact, I didn't even bring my phone in because I don't do that normally. And so I didn't have any idea what my readiness level was and whether I was high octane, premium, or regular. And so consequently, I came in with water. That was when it was high premium. And a cup of coffee <laughs> in case I needed something more. Uh, you know, it helps me to uh, get a glimpse of how good my sleep was, but it also helps me instrumentally and how to improve it. And for that, I am thankful. Which got me to thinking about what is my readiness score regarding my relationship with God? These are the kinds of things you do when you're retired and you sit out on your front porch with the hummingbirds flying past you. But I really do do those kinds of things now. What is my readiness? In my relationship with God, how often do I see God in my day-to-day -day life? How intimate is it? And 
and where does it go? I mean, if I'm intimate, how does that affect who I am? If I'm not, how does that affect who I am or not affect? Several years ago, when I was the pastor of Sherwood Presbyterian, which is a little country church outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, I'd been really working, seeking a closer relationship with God. And so uh, I was... I was asking God, what can I do to wake other people up? And so I walked into church one day. I think Bobby will probably remember this. And I said, I, Holy Spirit's laid on me to ask you all a question. Where have you seen God this week? Where have you seen him? And then I said, talk to me. Now, it was interesting because I had, we had a little baby. That helped. I saw it in the smile of my child, and it was true. I had other people saw it, said, you know, they saw it in the sunrise or the sunset, etc. But as I asked this week after week after week, the, cha- the tone changed. And people started to talk about experiencing experiencing God in new and amazing ways. You know, I, I love to use the analogy. I, my first truck was, was a Dodge Dakota truck. I didn't think there were any other Dodge Dakota trucks on the road. I didn't, I'd never seen them until I bought one. And then all of a sudden, I started to realize there were a lot of Dodge Dakota trucks. <laughs> Just like if your wife is pregnant, I, <laughs> you know, what can I say? You suddenly realize everybody must be drinking the water. They're all around you. What if we did that in our walk with God? I did that for about six months at Sherwood Presbyterian, and I said to myself, maybe it's time that I stop asking that question. It was taking up five, ten minutes of my worship service. And I stopped one Sunday, and then somebody put their hand up and said, aren't you going to ask? Because they had things to say. And the amazing thing about that was that as they shared, you could watch the people in the congregation become alive. And, and, And they started to see themselves in some of those things. And they supported others. It was the most amazing experience. That's why I asked Michael. I said, Michael, I'd like to suggest to you that you ask the congregation. Maybe do it at the early service, but that always gets started late, and and then it always goes over, so consequently we can't do it there, but maybe here. Think about it. So I was thrilled because Pastor Michael 
was doing a series on the very thing to help us to retrain our perception of God's presence in our lives. Oh, my goodness. And to see it for what it is, it's an act of love. And, and, and what happens when you are around love, you kind of start to share it. I mean, it's infectious, isn't it? The goal, of course, is to become closer and more intimate with our Lord. And that our faith would take steps to a new, a new level. And, and we become more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing ourselves or pleasing the world. And if you follow the permutations of that, hopefully we reach a place where we reach agape love, that self-giving love through beautiful actions. So Pastor Michael has talked about beautiful words. And there are amazingly beautiful words in this book. But there are beautiful words in many books. There are beautiful, beautiful poetry. He shared poetry. I would contend to you that there is music that touches us in most amazing ways. In fact, when I, we were singing, I love you, Lord, I saw a couple of hands that were just kind of, you know, it was almost halfway up, like putting your hands. I know she's laughing. But the thing was, it evokes emotions and things that sometimes we're not comfortable with. And yet something that is beautiful in the eyes of God. And so as we see Beautiful words, it helps us to retrain our, as we hear beautiful words, it helps to retrain our ears to hear the beauty of God's word. And, and then <laughs> the icons are something that uh, we don't see in the Presbyterian church a whole lot, but there are beautiful icons, beautiful paintings where people have tried to capture what's inside of them, that, that, that just the beauty and the love. And I have a Jewish, <laughs> I have a Jewish dentist. And I was talking to her in between drill last week. And, and I was telling her about the sermon. And I, I said, you know, the beauty of creation and the, the pictures. And she said, you know, I don't have much of a view from my house, but she said, we get the most beautiful sunsets. And she said, I can see God written all over it. And then when you get the rainbow, see, I, I'm just watching you. I, I'm seeing smiles cross people's faces just by seeing this going on. 
Oh my goodness. And so today I want to I want to focus on beautiful actions. Those actions in the eyes of many that are over the top extravagant oftentimes don't make any sense in the eyes of the world. Actions like what we find in today's scripture reading from John 12, 1 through 8. Now let me give you just a little bit of a, a setting. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time the very last Passover. He's been kind of intimating this to his disciples. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't understand why they didn't get it, especially when you read Mark. Oh, my goodness, you know, come on. He's been saying it, and it's like it's a surprise. You know, his raising of Lazarus caused a bit of an issue. A lot of folks were clamoring to see Jesus because they'd heard about this and they had seen Lazarus around Bethany. I mean, he was hanging out, he was eating, he was doing stuff and he had been dead. So they were looking for him. But because of that same thing going on, the chief priests and the Pharisees were looking for him for a much different reason. So Jesus had gone to Ephraim, which was, as the Bible says, by the desert, a small town. But he was on his way now. <laughs> yeah. So six days before the Passover, Jesus arrives at Lazarus' home. in Bethany, about two kilometers from Jerusalem. He's there for a meal. Let's see how John describes it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. That doesn't seem surprising, does it? Because Martha is always serving, running around, doing. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with table at him. And Mary took a pound of expensive ointment from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, and I love John's little side notes here, he who was about to betray him <laughs> said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? This came only from the Himalayas. It's, a, it's from the family of honeysuckle. And you can only find it, or you could only find it then, in the Himalayas or in China or in India. So for it to come 
to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, you can understand why it was so costly. Why was this not sold for the 300 denarii and given to the poor? But he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. <laughs> and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. That's another little aside from John. But Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So here we are. Mary, the one who sat at the feet of Jesus the first time we meet her. Remember, Martha was running around taking care of him. She comes to, to Jesus and she says, Tell her that she needs to help me because we got to take care of this. We got stuff to do, and I can't do it all myself. But what did Jesus say? No, 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 no. She, Mary, is the better way. She's doing what needs to be done. You need Martha to get your focus right. And so here's Mary again. And it's, I can imagine, it was almost like an ecstatic kind of a love that poured forth from her as she took this container that was sealed and she broke it and she poured it on the feet of Jesus, which was over the top. But then, even more, she wiped it with her hair. That's something that women, proper women, certainly would not do. But do you think she cared? No. There was something else that was going on here that was so way above everybody else's except for Jesus's understanding. It brings back to my mind, a moment when I was the English pastor at the Korean Presbyterian Church in Fayetteville. We had about 60 kids in our youth group. And for those of you that were here the family night before Holy Week, we had the white sheet that was out on the fellowship hall floor. And it was beautiful. It was clean and pretty, and I drew a large cross on it. And then at one end of the sheet, I had four buckets of different colored paint, red, green, yellow, and blue. Now, this is where they were buckets that you could put your feet in. And then I invited people to come and walk across this, this cross. And what happened was it started to transform. First, you could see individual colors. And of course, some of those kids wanted to stand in the red and then the yellow all the way at the other end. And then they started to walk 
But what happened was the cross started to be transformed. And it went from individual steps of different vibrant colors, but it moved into something that was so much more. It became brown, almost black. And then at the other end, we washed each other's feet. Julia Ha was so overcome by all of this that when we were done and, and, and she looked at all the sin that was portrayed that Jesus had taken upon himself, that she grabbed the red bucket and she ran out onto this thing and in complete abandon put her hand in the bucket of red paint and drew this red heart. right where the two arms came together. There was not a sound to be heard amongst all those kids because it was such an act of love over the top that we were all just blown away. And that is what I think happened that day when Mary, against everything, did what she did. So all week I've been meditating on this sermon. I see Mary and I am reminded of Julia. And I see Julia and I'm reminded of Mary. And, and, and I have felt this relationship and this love with the Lord that has just been welling up inside. So I thank Michael for giving me the opportunity because I had something to say today. Mary's act was obscenely decadent on the surface. And, and I don't know whether she had antenna and she knew that Jesus was going to die or whether this was, you know, the, but Jesus comes to her defense, revealing that that ointment was intended for his burial, and that it was a very, very special, precious gift, just as Jesus was a precious gift to each of us. And that through her actions, Mary was initiating Jesus's journey to give his very life, a unique life to never be experienced again. Yes, uh, Judas came up and he threw out his criticisms, but Mary, in this joy of agape love, just poured out just as Jesus poured out for us. All right. Huh. I want you to know, I still don't know what my readiness score was this morning. <laughs> but I know what my fuel octane rating is right now. The 
question becomes, do we see those kinds of acts being done today? Surely we saw it during the, the bubonic plague when everybody was fleeing, but the Christians remained and attended to the people who were suffering. True fact. And many came to faith because of the fact that the Christians, out of the love that Christ showed for them, poured themselves out for those who were suffering. But what about today? What about right now? And I would contend to you that it's happening all around us. I've seen it here in this community. I've seen it here in this church. I have seen it with my own eyes and with my own heart. But I want to share something that happened during Hurricane Matthew. Bobby and I lived in Fayetteville for 28 years. Don't ask me. I had a lobotomy. 28 years of the highest temperature and the highest humidity in this state right there. <laughs> But when Hurricane Matthew blew in and dropped 12 plus inches of rain in the space of about 14 hours, and all of downtown Fayetteville was flooded, I mean flooded, we had kayaks up at the second, second floor of the bank building downtown. But it was even worse in Lumberton where literally tens of thousands of people were displaced, many of them with just the clothes on their back. No food, no car, no place to live, no nothing. And the stories started to come out. You know, Americans do a pretty darn good job of rallying when there's a critical, when there's, you know, a disaster that's taking place. And so people were coming out of, out of the woodwork and bringing like the, like, like the widow who brought her last coin and dropped it, you know, in the temple as her offering. People who had nothing were giving things to people who had nothing because that's what they felt compelled to do. People opened their homes up to complete strangers. Churches disregarded their sanctuaries and how clean everything was and how beautiful it was and how perfect it was. They opened the doors and brought them in. I ran into one couple who drove up with a car. And I looked at them and I said, how would you get out with your car? And they said, we didn't. This guy came over and gave us the keys. Yeah, true story. And so we're asking, my little congregation, asking what can we do? Well, there were literally tens of thousands of people who had been displaced. And many of those folks didn't have homes. And many of those people were the poorest of the poor and they lived in apartments that were going to be destroyed. They had nothing left. And so FEMA put them in different motels all over. We had 3,000 at one exit 
in Fayetteville, exit 49. And as we prayed about it, the question was, well, what can we do? And the crazy thing the Spirit said is, go and adopt them. Adopt them. Get them food. Get them clothing. Get them help. Get them DSS. Get them to Department of Social Services. Get FEMA to come on out there. And kids from our church brought food from Second Harvest. And we partnered up, by the way, with an equally small church, Presbyterian Church. And we adopted six motels. And for the next six months, that crazy little church, those crazy little churches ministered to those people in ways that only God could do. If you had told me that that would happen, I look back and I shake my head. I can't believe it. But I have images. I have images <laughs> of little kids in our congregation carrying bags of groceries up to a, a room at the Holiday Inn. I was blown away. It's happening here in this place. I know of a truck that was given to a family in need. A truck. Here, here's the keys, here's the title. You need it. You're working, you're trying to support your family. Here, go. Do good. Love others. What do you think that causes the persons that are on the end, receiving end of that? It's a snowball. Where have you seen God this week? What, what is going on? Oh my goodness. So maybe the next time when husbands are talking about, you know, I really need my wife and I need to get a Bobby, my wife and I need to get away <laughs> for a little time together. But you say, no, I don't think we can afford that. We've got other things that need to be taken care of. Maybe, maybe, hmm, we don't have our priorities right. The person that is incredibly talented, and I knew one in Fayetteville who grew up not in a good part of town, but was gifted in so many ways and had the whole world ahead of him. And instead of going off and making a fortune, he moved into the slums to work with them. In the eyes of the world, crazy. In the eyes of God, a joy and a blessing. Or the young lady who got a full-ride scholarship to Duke, but whose mother was not doing well, and so she went to the community college nearby so she could take care of her. <laughs> Are those really... Are those things really waste? Or are they something else? 
You know, sometimes we're quick to label things as wasted. Wasted time, wasted effort, wasted talent, wasted money, wasted resources, wasted commitment, wasted life. But are they? You know, some of them are indeed true squanderings. Waste perhaps can only be properly identified based on the final outcome. Sometimes what is wasted changes the world or changes lives, changes us. The woman, this Mary with the ointment, reminds us that some of the things we're quick to call wasted surely are not. Instead, they're wonderful gifts of great extravagance poured out by love itself. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.